then back to the beginning and so we're in the letters now that are written to uh, the churches and yesterday actually last night uh, I had this epiphany uh, about revelation it made more sense to me um, for many of you in this room what I'm about to say will mean absolutely nothing uh, and you should never do this as a speaker if you do this publicly uh, but my life so much of it revolves around 90s hip-hop references and so um, last night I realized that John, who wrote uh, this book of Revelation, um, is actually public enemy. And, um, and so I just thought about these guys. And so Chuck D, like, wrote, like, he, um, he, like, his raps and what he wrote were, were, like, speaking into the systems at play. And, like, people hated him for it. But he was directly, like, going against the system uh, all the time. And then Flava Flav, um, like, like he had, they had this one song called Don't Believe the Hype, right? And, um, and so, and he was just like this big hype person who was trying to get people's like attention all the time. And so yesterday I was like, oh my gosh, John is public enemy. So that's it. For, again, some of you don't care. Um, yeah, some of you don't care. And I don't care that you don't care. So, um, so I have the mic. So, um, this story uh, of, of Revelation is fascinating because what's really uh, truly happening is there's a story that's uh, pre presented to us all the time and in front of us, and there's this narrative that's here. And what John really is truly trying to do is be like, do not believe the story that is in front of you. Like, don't, don't, don't believe that hype. Like, resist that story. Please resist that story. Um, time and time again, he's using imagery. He's using things that kind of gets our imagination moving. He's pointing back to the reality of Jesus, and he's like, he's like, don't believe this story. Don't believe the story of Richmond. Don't believe the story uh, that's trying to shape you. Don't believe the story of Virginia is trying to shape you. Don't believe the story of America is trying to shape you. If we were in uh, Russia, I would say, don't believe the story of Russia is trying to shape you. If we were in Sweden, I'm assuming they have a story. They're like, they're, don't believe the Sweden story. Like, don't believe the story. Resist the story that's trying to shape you. And only look at one story. And it's the story of Jesus. And so we've said this every single week, to stay grounded, the gospel works. To stay grounded, the gospel works. Don't just think, uh, man, things are spinning out of control. I mean, sure, in some ways, yeah, but like it always does. So stay grounded, the gospel works. But what about the end times? Is it like, isn't it about to end? Isn't everything about to end? I don't know. But stay grounded, the gospel works. Like keep going back to it. Resist the stories and the narratives that are trying to pull you away or distract you away from the reality and the truth of Jesus. That's what the deceiver does. In Genesis chapter 3, um, when we, in the beginning of the Bible, uh, it starts uh, with the creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the deceiver tries to tell a different story to distract Adam and Eve. And when he does it, they believe the story and they are no longer fixated in the reality, the truth of who God is. And they get fixated on being their own God, doing what they want to do, and some other kind of identity begins to shape them. Don't believe the story. Don't get distracted. Don't get tempted by it. Like there's a story and we've got to resist it. We cannot believe the hype that's around us. So we're going to be uh, now in Revelation chapter 2 and the next letter that's written to uh, this church at Smyrna. And uh, so everyone say Smyrna. Smyrna. Just wanted you to say it. So he said something fun today. So Revelation 2 verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last. Who was dead but is now what? Who is he talking about? 
Good, good. I also want to point out uh, something else that's interesting. Uh, so the city of Smyrna was a very loyal city to the Roman Empire, like incredibly loyal. And they were actually known for it. And, uh, uh, and what ended up happening at one point in time, it, it got destroyed and then it was built back up. And then some of the poets that would write about them in the first century about the city, they would talk about the wealth and the prosperity and the comfort of the city, the beauty of the city. And they would talk about it in a way that uh, it got destroyed at one time, but like a phoenix rising from the ashes, uh, it became uh, this beautiful city. And they would actually, uh, one of the uh, areas of it, uh, it was like a circle circular nature of the buildings, and they were kind of, they were called the crown of Smyrna, and it was about this crown of beauty that was saying to the gods, right, so that was part of the language that was used by the poets, and then they would say that the, that the city was once dead, but now became alive. Now, why does any of that matter? Well, it's important to continue every single week. I want to point these things out, because what John is doing is he's saying, there's another narrative that's being spoken out there. And it's a narrative saying that like Smyrna is the beauty or that was once dead and is, is now alive. And, and the crown of Smyrna, like the beauty, the, the, the blessings of the gods. It's like, it's like there's a narrative that's out there that's trying to shape how we think, shape how we interact with the world around us, to shape how we think about ourselves in our own life. And so John's essentially not only writing scripture about the truth of Jesus, uh, but he's writing a parody to the, to the story that's out there. And he's doing it at every single chapter. And every single piece of his writing. And so he's doing that here. And so he's like, hey, listen, I get it. We talk about that this city like died and rose again. Like it, came, it was once dead and like came back to life. But, but John's like, but that's not the story. Who's the real story about? Jesus. Stay grounded. The gospel works. So he continues on. He says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They, uh, they say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Now, he's not saying Judaism is Satan, okay? What he's saying is, is there are people who said they believed in God that actually didn't. And uh, they got corrupted. And the message of, of what they were living out was, was totally corrupt. Actually, at one point in time, um, some of these people who claimed to be, to be uh, God's people, um, they were actually making sacrifices to uh, Romans, God and they, Romans gods, and they were doing it in, in their temples, and they were going around uh, even saying, like, oh, God bless Rome. Okay, and here's what they were saying. Here's what was happening. And I just want you to feel the weight of this. In that moment, what was happening was, the, the, the religious people um, merged in, like, the, the empire at that time and tried to make them one. And so what, what God says is, like, that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how my kingdom works. And he's like, when you start doing stuff like that, it corrupts the message. And, and, and he doesn't say, oh, it kind of corrupts the message. What he says is, like, oh, no, no, that's a synagogue of Satan to do those things. And so I just want you to just see and feel that a little bit. I know you might get mad at me like, at certain points in this, in this series, but it's okay. Because, again, the, I didn't write this. So, so it's, it's, it's just saying, like, no, that, that when they started doing this, they started merging and started, like, saying, God bless Rome. Like, like that's not how this works, right? And that their hearts and everything was, were going, like, oriented towards it. Like, we, we have a song called God Bless What? America. And that song, I mean, it kills a little bit, right? Like you start singing that sucker, right? And um, is it wrong to have God bless America? No, 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 no. No. But in our hearts, in our hearts, it's like, why are we singing it? 
Like, don't we want God to bless everybody? God bless all the countries? And like, that's what we do, right? And it's like, oh, but when we kind of somehow separate all these things emerge that only God can do one thing for one people, then all of a sudden the language in the hearts of everything, what John is saying here is when that stuff starts getting corrupted and merges, it's like, oh, that's not in God's kingdom anymore. And what John describes it as, it's like a synagogue of Satan. It starts happening. Continuing on. He says, they say they're Jews, but they're not because they belong to the synagogue of what? Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. And I love what we were just saying. What we're saying, the devil, you got to go. Like you, you gotta, I know it's a new song, but like that's like a line that we should probably be screaming out together. Like, the devil, you got to go. Because like, like uh, we're in this. Like you, you, we've got to go. And he's like, you will suffer, suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful... Even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Remember, there's a crown of Smyrna. But he's like, no, this is the crown of life. You mean if, if I serve until I die? No. What he's saying is, what Jesus is saying is, you serve even if it ends in death. You stay faithful even if it ends in death. Not just till you die. It's even if it ends in death, you stay faithful to this message. Why? Because this message of the gospel works. But... Just until I die, right? No, no, no. Even if it like puts your life on the line, you stay faithful to it. See, these Christians that were in Smyrna were like powerful, powerful group of people. Because, man, they were suffering. They were going through it. They were facing uh, so many things from so many different people. But they just kept staying faithful. And the crown of life here is, is not like a king and queen crown. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a crown of life uh, with a wreath. Like, so they were obsessed with uh, uh, the Roman games and the big games and, and uh, any kind of like physical activity and competition. And uh, how many guys are competitive and like love to win, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of you guys in the room are like, I don't really care. And I was like, do I think that's a flaw in you? Sure. But like it's not like a, it's not like the end all be all. But like the, but the one thing, the one thing, if you are not a competitive person, the one thing you should be overly competitive and want to win is about this crown of life. Like, this, this should be like, no, 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 I don't care. Like, I'm going to be disciplined about this just like an athlete would. I'm going to compete around this just like an athlete would. I'm going to stay in this just like an athlete would. When adversity comes, I'm going to stick with it because that's what you do to win at the end. It's like, no, that's what we do with our faith. That's what we're doing with this whole story of Jesus. We're going to stay competitive with it. We're gonna, and we want to win this crown of life. He continues on. He says that anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit, the spirit of the living God. Right? When we just saying about it's not my battle, it's not my fight. It's not that you're not in a fight. It's not that you're not in a battle. It's just not yours alone. And sometimes we take it on as if it's our own battle. But it's like that's not the point. The point is, is like the spirit of the living God is with us in this battle. Listen, you should be able to turn to people within community. That's why it's so important to serve together, be together, like be in community, not just consume and take and just come in and out of your faith and in and out of this church to be in it. Because guess what? We are in the fight together. And we need one another. And so it becomes so important in the midst of this to understand, like it's not... Like, have ears to hear. Like, the, the spirit of the living God is, is with me in this. And, and understand what he's saying to the church is whoever is victorious 
will not be harmed by the second death. And so these people at Samaria, it's just fascinating. Uh, they decided, they decided that they were not going to participate in an, any kind of economic system. This is one of the things that they did that ended up facing so much persecution and suffering for. They decided, they looked at the economic system and they were like, if something is going to exploit or oppress someone, we're not going to be involved. If something causes like this big gap in people on who's wealthy and who's not, we're not going to be involved in it. And so when they did that, they were just, they were looking at the system that was at play for the Roman economic system. And they were just like, we're not going to do that because when we say, uh, uh, when we say that we, we want the kingdom of God to come, like we really mean it. And that's not the kingdom of God economics. And so we're going to be crazy generous. Uh, we're going to be willing to not participate or buy certain things or, or, or bow down to certain things. And, and that might mean we might lose a business or that might mean we, we don't uh, do this the right way. And again, that was their economic system. And they're like, if this causes a gap between that person and this person, and it's like, that shouldn't, like that's not the way it should be in the kingdom of God. So we're not going to participate in it. Do we have a wage gap in our country? Has, has our economic system ever hurt people? Um, it would be like this, and, and I get this is hard, right? I'm not talking about people working hard and like that. I'm just saying like, just flat out the way things work. It would be like every Christian in America being like, we're not participating in this. I don't know how many of us in this room, including myself, honestly, that would like sign up for that today. Like on your way, we're like, hey, we got this new economic thing we're doing. You guys, there's Team Palooza, and you can also sign up for this new economic system, right? And um, I'm guessing that everyone would, like, run and do that. But this is what they did because they looked at the system that was at play, and they're like, this is just isn't the kingdom of God. When they said the Lord's Prayer, which they would have had known and been made aware of, and most of us know the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy what? Kingdom come. Thy what? Will be done on earth as it is in so they're sitting there saying that our role as a church is to bring the reality of the kingdom of heaven here to earth. Our role is not to participate in this kingdom, but God's kingdom. Our role is to say like, oh, well, they might have had some like things that they really did like about the Roman culture and, and empire that was really good that went along with kingdom ethics. That's totally possible. But they were able to take a step back and be like, but the story of Rome is not the story of Jesus. The story of Rome is not the story of God's kingdom. And so wherever those pieces are in the story, I'm not going to participate in those things. And I'm going to live countercultural to that. So this is like a serious letter, right? And what John is writing, what they were doing. So then it forces us to do some of the same things. So one of the questions I wrote down this past week was, what part of your life can you point to that lives in resistance to the ways of America or Richmond or whatever, Virginia, whatever? That's our context, right? And so it's taking a step back and saying like, well, what's good about America? There's plenty, right? And so you kind of see like, all right, those could be kingdom values. That works. But then how do I live in resistance to things? How do I live in resistance to like the hyper-individualism of our culture? How do I live in resistance to the greed? How do I re uh, uh, live in resistance to um, maybe some kind of like the superiority we might have? How do I live in resistance to the individual or isolated nature of things or the divisive nature of things? How do I live in resistance to these things? Because it's not the kingdom of God. 
And it's important for us to start to understand and, and like really process, are the things that are maybe not actually like cool with what Jesus taught? We all have them. We all do. Like there's not a person in this room, if we really, I mean, honestly, if we really went through this, I mean, we're just kind of working through and saying, what, what part of my life maybe not, does not go like hand in hand or like perfectly with the kingdom of God? We all have something. We all have something. If you're thinking to yourself, you don't have anything, it would be your pride. <laughs> so, so we all have something in there. And we've just got to understand what it, it might be. We've all been nurtured by our culture. Like, that's just the way it is. Good and bad. And so we've got to understand, it's like, oh, some of these things are actually not the kingdom of God. Like, America's story is not God's story. We all know that, right? I'm, I'm not, that's not a controversial statement. America's story is not God's story. It, it, progressive politics will not lead you to Jesus, nor will conservative politics. That is not a controversial, like if you think that's controversial, I, we could have a larger conversation, but that is not controversial. And so we, but it's like, but understanding what might be impacting us in all of this is, is really important. And so um, here's the first point I want you to see in the story with Smyrna. Because again, they were setting themselves up, they're like, they want to, kind of go against the system. And, and, they, and they face some suffering and some tension. It, the more you live for the kingdom of God, the more you will face tension to the culture around you. Yeah. Whether it's friendships. When someone's like, whoa, 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 What do you mean you don't do that anymore? Or you don't talk like that anymore? Or you don't, what do you mean you don't spend your time doing whatever that is anymore? Like, there's some tension that can happen. It could happen with someone close to you. It could happen with a spouse. It could happen with one of your best friends. It, could, it can just happen. Like, the more you live in, in the kingdom mindset together, or, or like, as a person, and, you're, and the rest of your group doesn't, like, there's going to be tension. When you go to work, and you're like, I want to be really kingdom-minded here, you're going to have tension. The more you step into that, the more tension will be there. That's just what's going to happen. There's going to be some suffering. But suffering has an expiration date. I did two funerals this week. And, uh, and there were different scenarios. Um, cancer was the, the cause of, uh, of both of them. But in both funerals, as I was reflecting on like, what I was going to preach on, I was like, man, you know, this is not the ideal. But that suffering did have an expiration date. They're healed and whole. And so suffering actually doesn't have the last word. Yeah. Um, the, the disease doesn't have the last word. You're, the pain doesn't have the last word. The trauma doesn't have the last word. The thing that triggers you doesn't have the last word. It doesn't have the last word. Like, suffering has an expiration date. Your pain has an expiration date. The question then becomes is, is, do we see that as a reality? Do we view the lens of our pain and our suffering? Are we just trying to get out of it? Or are we trying to figure out who we are in it? Are we just trying to see what God might like do with us in the midst of that? Or, or, is our, or is our focus like solely centered on our pain or suffering? I'm not trying to demean the pain or suffering. I'm not trying to like diminish what is going through because I know some of y'all's stories and we've sat together and like this stuff that you're going to have to, like you're going to probably deal with maybe for the rest of your life. I don't, I don't know, but it's like very serious stuff. But in the midst of that, what's taking on the identity do we more identify with the crisis or the trauma or do I identify with the fact that hmm, there's something else at the end of this story and that my suffering has an expiration date and I want to live into that? It reshapes the way that we begin to see what we're, we're going through. 
One of the other things I wrote down this week was don't let the times of suffering distort the truth of who you are or who God is. It's easy to do, right? You're going through some things that just, like it sucks. Like life like gets thrown at you or you're going through something or someone did something to you or, you know, whatever. Like there's so many things that could happen. You lose a job, you lose a friend, you lose a spouse, you lose a boyfriend, you, whatever. Um, and those things stink and they, they can like, put you in a place where like you're just going through it. But don't let those moments distort who God is in that moment. Don't let those moments distort who you are in those moments. And all of a sudden, let your identity get shaken. Because like, something, you're starting to believe something else that just actually isn't uh, true. Um, the second thing that I think is important to see in this is that opposition is real. Opposition is real. Again, that tension that you'll feel, the, the, the things that you'll feel in the midst of it, that's a real thing. When you're going through, uh, when you have this idea of like, I want, I want the, to live out the kingdom of God and what that looks like, and you feel that tension relationally, or you make decisions and it causes something, it's, the opposition is going to be real. Um, sometimes, uh, like when it says uh, earlier in that passage, it talks about that, that Satan might want to test you. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. And, and so it's trying to figure out, man, and that can come in small and little, uh, or little and, and big ways. But it's an understanding, like, this opposition, it's not like when someone comes, like when we sing in that first song, um, Hell Lost Another One, right? And, uh, and I Am Free. It's a funny thing, because, like, I mean, I love that song, I think, I, but it's a funny thing, because, like, Hell Lost Another One, I Am Free, right? And we're, like, saying, <laughs> right? And it's, like, do you realize what you're saying right now? And, like, what you're singing right now? And uh, it's not like the devil's, like, ah, oh, dang it, man. I lost another one. Man, that God was good today. You know, and so it's, it's not, it's like, no, there's, there's something real going on here. I mean, real. And in that moment, it's an opposition. And so when you're singing, hell lost another one, you are speaking to the devil that he's got to go. Yeah. And you will not define me. Your test will not define me. You know, that evil thing you might have gone through, that, that won't define you. And we start framing things a little bit differently. And I always find it interesting, too, how different generations, like, go through different things, right? And how they handle uh, controversy or how they handle um, tough things. And, you know, there's a the wide range of it from some, you know, the older generations are kind of like, you know, you just fight through it, man. Like, just get over it. Like, in, and then, you know, younger generations, like, are on every emotion, like, like possible and everything. And I saw this video, and I thought, like, oh, this kind of, my, maybe depicts it uh, a little bit. Mm. Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Uh, 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 show them girl, yeah. I know it's not true. I know, I know, I know, I know, but just funny. But it is funny the way different generations handle things and how you work through things and, and everything. But there is just a reality. The opposition we face is real. Um, even when you think about how the, all this stuff works, you know, sometimes when you look at the opposition out there, like, yeah, I know. It's just because 
people sin and people are sinners and, and people have this like very narrow look at like even how sin works, you know, and, and it's like, no, that opposition we face, like the Bible talks about it like radically differently. Like when you think about um, how sin works in the Bible, you have it this way. You have it, um, there's a personal side to sin, right? Um, how many guys have sinned? There we go, right? Like so there's, there's a personal side to, to sin and and honestly, on that personal side, that can come in actions, words, thoughts, right? There is, and this is all biblical, there's a communal, communal side to sin. That, uh, if you ever heard of the term like generational sin. Well, well, all that is, is, is you are nurtured into some sin sometimes because of like your family upbringing. And you are, you're, you're almost have a predisposition towards certain things or can lean to, or you're, it's easily accessible um, because of just what you were nurtured into. And so it's just what you, like you, you start imitating what you see, like essentially the second you get out of the womb. Like that's just a reality. And so it, there's a communal element to this. Uh, you know, uh, when you think about like our, our country, right, right? Like what's the greatest sin of our country it would be like racism, right? And what it was, it was built on. And you start to, to think about those things. It's like we all love to, to talk about all the good things of our country. And we should, like of, of some of the things our forefathers did. They were smart and, and they did some really, really good things. And we should like honor those really good things, right? Um, but we love to talk about those things. But whenever someone's like, yeah, but... It was, they're also super racist, and it was, it was like built on that and, and everything. And people are like, whoa, 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 well, we didn't inherit that part. Only the good part, right? But that's not even how it works in our families. So let alone like communally as you like build out in our city. Like it's the same story. Like it's just, it's just how it works. This is not, and it's a biblical thing to, that's why you see in the Bible like so often when there's a communal repentance, and you might be saying, like, well, that wasn't, like, that person's, like, particular sin. It's like, yeah, but as a community, we're engaging the reality of sin. And you start seeing it a little bit uh, differently. Um, the Bible also um, personifies sin. In Genesis chapter 4, it talks about uh, how sin is, is crouching at the door, waiting to pounce. And so it's almost like there's this personification of how sin might work in our lives. And, and there's something else to that. And then the Bible also does um, the spiritual realm. That there's a bigger battle going on. I know we don't like to talk about that part because it's mystical and we don't know. And, but, but there is. Like there, the Bible talks about like this, this, this other kind of thing that's happening. Like when, when people have like, uh, you know, like kind of super spiritual movies they don't come up with that just out of the blue. Like there's a, just a reality of there's a spiritual thing uh, that's going on and, and sin is like ingrained into some of those things and we begin to see how some of this works. And so even when it kind of gets played out, when we talk about systematic issues, are they the decisions of person, like uh, we talk a systematic issue in our country. It's like, okay, is it because of the sins of a person? Yes. Is it because the sins of the community? Yes. Is it because there's something going on in the spiritual realm? Yes. Is it because, like, sin's just waiting to pounce on certain things? Yes. Like, it just works kind of holistically uh, in that way. And it's important to understand the opposition. That that is just what begins to happen. And so in the midst of this, we can take on certain things. And so how many of you guys have had a calloused heart towards something before? We all have. You know why that happens is because we, st we stopped resisting the lies. 
we stopped resisting the wrong story. We stopped resisting a narrative. And, uh, and so our hearts become calloused. So our hearts can become calloused towards a person, towards a grouping of people. Our hearts can become calloused towards our own sin. Because we'll say, like, we believe the narrative that it's not that big of a deal. Um, our hearts can become calloused towards the hope we have in Christ. Because we're like, well, hold on. If it was so good, if it was this, it would take care of that. And we kind of start believing this other narrative that just isn't true. And our hearts become callous towards the realities and the truth of who Jesus actually is. Um, here's the last thing. Actually, let me go through this first. When we live, if the story of hope is what defines us, if the story of hope is what defines us, it doesn't eliminate fear and anxiety that may creep in. It just simply reframes it, right? And so... Uh, I could say the same thing about the pain that we're going through. It doesn't necessarily take away the pain of something in your life. Like you might still have to go through that pain, but it does reframe how we see it. We're no longer identifying with our pain or the trauma or the, like whatever those things, and that's not our identity marker. We're working through all of that throughout the lens of this hope that we have in Christ, throughout this lens that suffering has an expiration date begins to reframe this whole thing. I mean, the first service, I, uh, on the fly, just redid the last part of the message, and so I'm just going to stick with that. Um, we are in a fight, and you just got to get on board with that. Too often, I think language centers around how weak we are, or we identify with negativity, or we identify with a hurt or a pain, and we, we have like defeatist language. We're in a fight. Now, my friends growing up, we, none of us were like fighters. But if you wanted to fight one, you were fighting all. To this day, if you're one of my, shoot, any of you guys, because you're part of my community, if someone's going to fight you and I'm there, I'm jumping in. I won't start the fight, but I'll throw a couple punches if I need to. Am I 46? Sure. But I'll still get in there. Right? Don't care. Like, I'll do that. Why? Because we're in this together. Like, this is what we do. Like, we're not in some passive thing that's happening. And so to understand the reality that we're in a fight is incredibly important. It is not your fight alone. The only time it becomes your fight alone is when you choose to have it that way. We're not in this fight alone. You got the spirit of the living God on your side. So we don't view this fight out of a defeatist mindset. We view it through the lens of hope. We view it through the lens of victory. We view it through the lens that we have a crown of life coming our way. We do this as a church together because guess what sometimes you are going to be weak but I need someone else to be strong for me sometimes you're not going to feel like praying but it's nice to know four other people are praying with me sometimes you're going to feel like you can't get up but someone's there to literally pick you up and guess what someday you're going to be that person for somebody else because that's what community is about that's what our faith is about that's what this fight is about it is not about doing it on our own if you think this whole church thing is about just coming and consuming and leaving. And it's just like, I get a free pass into heaven. You are dead wrong. If you think your story is defined by a trauma 
or a person or any, you are dead wrong. That is not the story Jesus wants you to believe. It's not the story. You're in a fight. Be okay with being in the fight. I'm going to ask the band to come up because I want us to actually sing um, the God problems part again because now that you've heard it, I know it's new, but now that you've heard it, I want the lyrics, I want you to like, just take in the lyrics a little differently this go around. Um, and they're just going to sing the hook and, and the chorus to it a couple of times. Like when you literally say, someone let the devil, like they, they, he's got to go. When you, when you sing that part, I mean, again, understand what you're saying. To somebody in, some people in this room right now, they need to hear you sing that so loud because they can't. And they need to know someone is in this fight with them because they feel like the devil's coming after them. And they'd like to know that there's a body of believers in there with them. That there's this reality that the spirit of living God might defend her in this. So that's who we are. If you don't want to be in the fight, that's your call. If you want to view this fight on your own, that's, that's your call. But if you want to be part of the church and if you want to be part of this church, like we're in a fight together. And I want you to know that I've got your back. And I want to know that you've got my back when I need it. Because that's what we do. So we guys stand and sing this last song. <laughs>